0: All right. Good night, everybody. Good evening. Welcome back to V Brown Bag uh, tonight. We are going to continue our NSXT series. This session will be about NSXT design, specifically things you would need to know to prep for the VCAP NV. So this is a great one. A lot of good stuff to get out of this one. Um, before we get started, though, a couple of housekeeping notes. Uh, this is being recorded live. Uh, if you joined us live, welcome. Uh, you should know that you can find us over on YouTube and all of our back episodes. If you missed any episodes in the series, check them out there. If you're watching this on YouTube, then, Hey, thanks for, for watching. Did you know that we do this every week, uh, almost at least on Wednesday evening, seven thirty PM central. And we do this in other times and sometimes even other languages. So if you're in a different time zone, different region, speak a different language, check out our other shows here on the right. Uh just a reminder, if you are watching live tonight, please use the QA in Zoom, or you can just tweet at us and use the hashtag vBrownbag uh, with any questions you may have, comments, night remarks, whatever, inside jokes, send them, send them our way. Uh, But uh yeah, tonight we are pleased to welcome back Britton Johnson, VCIXNV. i N V. I didn't mess that up this time, Britton. Nice job. That's the Twitter handle. I'm Ken Nalbone. Uh, you got any questions? If you want to join V VBrownBag, you can tweet at me directly. My DMs are open. Would love to hear your ideas for more enablement sessions for the community. But without further ado, I am going to turn it over to, to you, Britton. So let me stop my share and pass you the ball.
1: All right, let me get
2: going here. Ah, there we go. Okay. Good times. Let me make sure I got everything I need. Good, good. And good. All right. Cool.
0: All right.
1: And good. All right think the whiteboard is working should be good all right welcome everybody to number three in our four-part series of nsx for the summer of 2021 um this would be a little bit different than the stuff i've done before because this is going to be really more kind of theory and practice and um kind of just the the, the logistical side of what it takes to do NSX. Um, reason I wanted to do an NSXT design session for vBrownBag this year. So I, earlier this year, I had to renew all my certs on everything and reclaim my uh, at VCI XNV status and renew that because I originally got it for NSX for vSphere and so i re i I, you know retested and got the vcp nv for t -T, nsxt and then i got started the started down the track of what it would take to renew my vcix nv i thought i would have to take both the vcap nv and the vk vcap nv design and the vcap nv deploy there as of at least when i did it i don't know if it's still it still may not be out there was not a VCAP deploy exam. So just by passing the VCAP NV design exam, it renewed my
0: VCIX NV. So, so w- when was that, Brittany? Because people might be watching this long yeah. before we record it.
1: So that was uh spring of 2021, so just a few months ago. Okay. Um so you'll you know you ch- ch- check the you know the VMware exams list to see what's currently out there for everything. But in the future, in order to obtain the uh, the, the the cert level VCIX or the VMware Certified Implementation Expert, which is the one just below the VCDX, um, you have to have both the VCAP and V design and deploy exams t- typically to get that cert. But because I was a prior, they grandfathered me in with one, so I'll take it though. So, anyways, as I was looking around trying to figure out how you know how does somebody prepare for the new VCAP NV design exam, I'm like, well, you can take the official class. So I did that, um, but then also when just looking around, there's, there was not a lot of material um, in terms of study material for like how to even prepare for the exam because I I like to know what's on the exam and I want to understand the process. So I thought, well. Let me just work through this, and then I'll make some stuff. And so here we are. That was a really long intro. I'm sorry. Um. All right. Get all good, this. man.
0: It's good to set the stage.
1: Yeah. So again, if you you know have watched any of this stuff, um, you don't know who I am by now. You know, this is who I am. I, I updated my picture to my Twitter picture, so this is me at the zoo in Madison, Wisconsin, explaining to Bucky Badger how to virtualize his network. And he was he was not listening very well. But um, I'm a Staff Solutions Engineer for the Virtual Cloud Network uh, team in VMware. And I've uh, you know, been doing this for a little over two years now for VMware. It's been great. Um, that's where we That's me. So again, you know, hopefully folks watching this know who I am by now because they've hopefully seen all the other ones. Agenda for today, Um, so we've done the first two, uh, general update, and then the advanced protection suite. Uh, So this one is the NS60 design. Um, Again, yes, I did, as Chris Williams absolutely noted during tweeting the promotion for this episode tonight, this is a ridiculously long title. Um, But realistically, these are the things that are contained in the exam. Then, so it's stuff that, you know, if you're after the VCAP-NV, design this is stuff that you'll need to look at so and then again uh, we're going to wrap this thing up um, party on the 25th with the NSxt migration V2t um, try to cover that in as much detail as possible and and what that looks like and what your options are um, and we'll you know have a, a good time closing out the series with that one All right. Learning resources. So as I always start with these things, um, this is kind of the, the couple of quick go-to things that I hope, hope people can either, you know, steal these links or go to Google and search later on. Um, so still, you know, check back to the 2020 V Brown Bag series for all the core content on NSXT. Still very much valid. Um, I updated this to a bit.ly link. So if people are looking for it, that's uh, a quick... Kind of hopefully that works, um, and then the uh, really the, the the NSX design bible, as it were, uh, is the reference design guide. So if you are doing anything with NSXT um, and you need to understand how to do something, or you need to understand a scenario, or you need to figure out a best practice principle, um, go to the NSX Tech Zone uh for mul- a lot of different resources but ultimately go for whatever is the current iteration and version of the design the official design guide um, this thing is updated fairly regularly and it's it's kind of your one-stop shop of where to go for all things in 16 knowledge-wise so definitely go grab that um, and keep keep it bookmarked so you can check back at a regular basis um, of course, the VMware ed- design, VMware education official design course. So this is, uh, again, it's a very good course. The, so if you've taken, can you, you've, can, um, let me ask you a question. You've taken the official VMware education courses, yes?
0: Uh, yes, several. Not this specific one, but several.
1: So typically they, they contain lots and lots of lab time,
0: right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. At least a quarter so, of the time probably is lab time.
1: So the interesting thing about this course is there is not a lot of hands-on product lab time because it's not really about the practical aspect of deploying and clicking things and doing deployments and understanding where stuff is in the UI and all that kind of stuff. So the lab portion of this class is uh, basically walking through scenarios of figuring out design questions and stuff. And um, I, T- teaser for the end of this episode i'm gonna walk ken through uh kind of what that looks like uh in, in, in a, a a lab type of, type of a thing so i'm gonna ask people not to judge me on that one by the way <laughs> it'll be it'll be fine trust me there's oh, there, there's no wrong answers so i think when
0: you p- take an exam there usually are though
1: that's true so yes i may have just lied there but yeah for the, for the purposes of this, this uh, presentation today, there are no wrong answers, <laughs> I'll say that. <laughs> All right, um, additional learning resources, if again, if you're after the advanced design VCAP NV exam, this is the exam number. Um, so that is, you know, super key to know that. Um, and then the other thing to pay attention to is, you know, go download, uh, for any exam you're taking, the exam guide blueprint. Um, this is a, a key piece of information. Um, and, and part of the, uh, every you know, exam prep should tell you to go download the Blueprint. The Blueprint in this case, is, is to, to my perspective, was lacking a little bit of information, um, probably by design, no pun intended, um, because they want you to go figure a lot of this stuff out and prepare for it you know, in, in, a, in a very kind of a one-off way. Um, so the the this particular design, uh, exam design blueprint PDF as you go download it, this is publicly accessible document. So no no secrets here. Um, it's a three page PDF, and so all of the exam prep guides uh, info is really contained on page two, um, and it pretty much consists of everything in section three is what you need to study. Um, so, so that, that's sort of the big deal with, with the exam, with this particular exam, especially, um, pay close attention to what is not, I emphasize not covered in the exam, because, uh, if you go into the exam and you spent a whole bunch of time learning, you know, and configuring and setup, and troubleshooting and repairing and, you know, any of the, you know, architecture discussion stuff none of that's on the exam. And so just as you're, as you're going through it, make sure that you're covering the bases of, you know, the stuff that's on this list um, and and walk through a lot lot of these kinds of designy type scenario things. So that's, that's my uh, first little bit of wisdom. It might be kind of a duh, but I, I
0: felt like it had to be said. So honestly, until you called it out, I didn't notice that it just said on every other
1: line, "This is not not on the exam." <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, all right. So I'm going to spend a lot of time talking. Not there's not a lot of. I actually have a total of 21 slides, so I don't have a whole lot of slides. I usually have like 50 or 60. Um, so then we're gonna, there's there's going to be kind of a you know small amount of slides, a lot of depth on each one of them. So. That's sort of a, this, this is almost like I said, it's, it's a whole different type of presentation. Um, so it's, it's really just more about you know, how we work through these, this process and what, it's, what it' looks like to design something. And I, and I, I really feel like a lot of the, the, a lot of this material should be universal to really any design process, not just an NSXT design process, but really any design, any, any IT, highly, highly advanced system that you're deploying or working with, um, this is a, a process that, that really could be universally used. Um, at least a good design process should be, you know, repeatable in that respect. And so we'll talk about that. All right. So at a high level, the, the NSXT design process, as as we would would espouse it, it begins with a, a, a number one a, f- a framework. What is a framework? A framework has several different features. It's you know it's a toolkit that can be used to, uh, you know, uh, for delivery and assessment of a broad range of architectures. So like I said, not even just limited to just NSX or, you know, even vSAN or some other VMware product. Um, You know, this is something that goes across the board for anything that you're trying to do. Um, It contains a structure, you know, for content or a process that can be used as a tool to represent thoughts and ensure consistency and completeness. A framework typically consists of, uh, you know, these, primary three things. So a uh, methodology, standards, and tools. And, uh, and when we talk about tools, well, they're often they're supporting tools. So they're just, you know, bits of a process that help get things going in the right direction. Um, a, a design methodology also describes a what we would call an iterative or high-level process that is used to create the design. Um, and so that's, you know, the it's something that, that is not necessarily static in nature. So because it's iterative, it has to change and, and flow as you work through the process. Um, standards also, as, as they are used in part of the framework um, are, get developed in the field and, and, and kind of where, where the rubber meets the road. Um, they provide you know, guidelines, not necessarily rigid rules. Uh, standards include configurations and processes. Um, you know, standards are sometimes common practices and they're used to avoid problems and get results, but kind of as with most things, you have to balance best practices and standards within an organization's objectives. So uh, the, the thing that I kind of took away from this as I was working through this material again is, you know, the design process in general um, usually involves a lot of compromise. Uh, because there's going to be things, as we'll get through this, where um, you've got a, a hard-locked process that you're going through for, like, say, you, know, you you have to use a certain type of hardware because that's what you have available or that's what has already been purchased. Or you've got a certain number of network switch ports that you have available to your deployment. Or you know, there's certain things, there's, there's certain constraints on, on, the, on the process, and that's going to make it, you know, you have to go one way or the other. Kind of a kind of it's not on like a choose your own adventure book, you know, when back when we were kids, Except probably less fun than a choose your own adventure book. Well, you got me all excited, and now <laughs> yeah. So, so that's 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 thing one. Uh, thing two is principles. Um, you know, gu- guiding principles, um, are um. Oh, I skipped tools. Um, So the last last piece on this before I head into the principles. Um, So, so design tools uh, also are uh, contain supporting artifacts used to, to execute the methodology. So the, the tools kind of, there's a lot of this kind of thought process in here too where it's sort of a circular logic as you go through this where the framework builds the methodology which contains tool, standards and tools and the tools also build you know, they support the framework. And so it's uh, a, lot, a lot of this kind of circular logic rolls through this thing, where this thing leads to that, which leads to this thing, and goes back again. Um, and and the, the, probably the, the main and most important piece of, of tools and, and, and supporting tools at that is, is setting up a defined vocabulary of terms unique to the framework. Um, so that that's where you know, as you're rolling through an NSX design process, if you're starting to build out you know profiles w- within your NSX environment of you know, uh, host profiles and you know, uh, you know physical NIC profiles, and just the, all all the different components that make up an NSX deployment. Um, you you can kind of start to contain the specific vocabulary of the terms unique to what you're trying to do, built into the framework as well. So that way, you as you're talking about it as a team of people building these things, um, you know, you can all kind of talk off the same sheet, talk off the same sheet, and and be on the same page from from that aspect. Okay principles. Um, so, you know, principles are best practices and recommendations for the correct assembly of this architecture, you know, that is again, um, you know, again, where principles go back to the framework. So, you know, whatever the framework says as the process, the principles have to support that as well. Um, you know, best practices are often used in the absence of other requirements. Um, again, key thing here, best practices are not static. You know, they evolve as technology evolves and, and realistically, you know, there is no single online location for best practice information, uh, except, you know, as much as everybody in it would like to say, we'll just Google it. Um, you know, you, you could do that. Uh, and then five years later, do it again and come up with different answers. Um, you know, I've often heard the best way to test a search engine is to Google what's the best weed whacker, um, and see what you come up with, but ads, (laughs) <laughs> exactly. Um, and so it, it's one of these things where like, it's going to change, it's going to iterate. And that's, that's why, you know, this, we're, we're, customers always seem to be after this thing of best of breed, best practices, they want the best. Um, but, you know, especially in technology and software, the whatever's the best now is not the best later. Um, I mean, it used to be that the standard requirement for business internet was getting maybe one or two, 1.5 megabit T1 lines installed in your business, you know, back in like late the late nineties, early two thousands. Um, I remember one of the first places I worked where they had a T1 line, man, I thought it was the best thing ever. Cause their internet was screaming. I worked uh, somewhere that had two bonded T1 lines, by the way. Oh man. you can't believe that. That was awesome. Three megabytes up. Wow. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I can do that on my phone now. Um, So, so it's just one of these things of like, you know, all this, all these standards and best practices change. If the best practice of a T one line for internet in a business never changed, you know, we, I think the world would look a lot different than it does today. Uh, All right. All right. Recommendations. Um, so So realistically, so it's a, the recommendations piece is it's just sort of akin to the best practices piece. So, you know, like the re- recommendations to me, what that speaks to is sort of the uh, working with field experts. So people who are, you know, professional services folks who do design and delivery processes, you know, all day long. Um, you know, the, the guys who have the guys and gals who are in the trenches deploying these things on a daily basis. So, you know, someone other than Ken and myself. <laughs> so, um, because, you know, th- those, those folks always have kind of the bird's eye view as to what's really going on and what is the, the right solution for most most situations, because they're in the, you know, they're just down there doing it. And so, you know, when you're, so I take their recommendations higher really than anybody else, because if you're in the field and you're doing it, um, you know, you've, you've got the, the most up-to-date valuable information and, and applying that kind of stuff. In the beginning of your design process is invaluable as you as you get started. All right, design sessions. So design design decisions get made during design sessions. That's probably ever not a revelation to most people listening to this, but you know this is this is where we are. Um, you know, though these decisions get made through interviews or, you know, whiteboard sessions, um, you know, it, it's, it, it, you know, this is stuff that I T people do in and out all day long. So again, not a lot of aha moments here probably, but this is just kind of the, the stuff that again, it's on the exam. So we need to cover it, um, you know, and, and realistically to provide a solution that works, you know, we have to involve key stakeholders and subject matter experts you know, early and often in those design sessions. Um, and there's one note that, that, you know, I I pulled out of some of the materials for this, where they say, you know, do not surprise the key stakeholders and, and, and subject matter experts. So, and I, you know, I don't know how many times I've been working on a project for somebody. And then at the last moment, they're like, oh yeah, by the way, we found this thing. And now we have to do it this way. You know, surprise and, and it just changes, you know, everything that you've been working on for months, because now we have to meet this new, new expectation that could have been found early on, but maybe wasn't. Um, and so, you know, it's that kind of stuff, like, you know, the, the technical surprise three months into a project, it's never fun. And then, you know, ultimately, we need to understand and to be able to explain design risks caused by various, you know, constraints and requirements. Um, you know, designing is this balancing act between, you know, technical best practices, the, the business's organizational goals, requirements, and constraints. Um, and we're going to talk a, a lot more about m- most of these things, especially uh, the requirements and constraints and um you know, the the risks and all that stuff, because that, that's half the exam. It's it's, you know, it's just working through this thought process. And like, kind of the last part of the, the design sessions part of this is we have to perform this, you know, final gap analysis between the design and the organization's golden requirements. And so you're going to have pieces where you know, you, as you get through the design part, you're you're going to have what the requirements are, what the what the solution can do, and you're going to have a gap between them, and we've got to be able to fill the gap and make sure that ultimately, you know, the design meets all of the requirements that the that, that the business has decided to have. So, um, so it's it's really just sort of the, the that's kind of what, probably one of the most critical last piece steps is is doing this gap, final gap analysis.
2: All right. I think I may have
1: already covered a lot of this stuff on the trade-offs part. So yes, yes, I did. And I didn't skip ahead. I made Presentation mistake number one, Ken. I'm going note that down. All good. I'm not used to click through slides if you can't tell. All right. All right. Yep. Okay, last piece. Let me just build this out all the way and then I won't forget anything. So uh, the most important part of this thing is that really, yes, it's the outcome and a good design involves the organization's key stakeholders and subject matter experts, um, you know, and, and, and the lack of proper team input, you know, is, is part of, uh, you know, really as we talk about, um, you know, constraints and requirements and risks and all this thing, um, you know, one of the things that I deal with all the time, even today is, you know, oftentimes you'll start a project, but you won't have all the right people involved at the outset that need to be on the, on, on board and, and, and need to have input in what you're doing. Um, so how do you press forward without all those right people? Um, and as, as part of this process of, you know, building the team that's going to do this design and do the deployment and kind of understand what all the... Um, you know, the outcomes and the the risks and the constraints and the goals and the requirements and all that stuff is, um, if you realistically, if you don't have all of the right people on board at the outset, you have to call that out immediately, you know, as a risk to, to the project, because if you don't have the people, you can't make the design and you've got an outstanding risk right at the, right at the outset. So you know, be sure that you understand who needs to be involved and, and make sure you try to get them all you know, on board and informed as quickly as possible, because that's what helps you get to a good design. A good design also balances the business goals and requirements with technical considerations and best practices. So again, it's a bit of a give and take. Um, you know, it's this kind of, you um, uh you know uh you know, well it's a balancing act i can't think of a better way to say it at the top of my head at the moment uh compromise that's what i was going for um and so we got we there did, good job <laughs> yeah, I, I had to give my brain a second to catch up um you know there's there's compromise involved in all these things um and 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 it takes you know uh time to kind of work through some of those things and figure out, you know, how the technical considerations and best practices work towards the business goals and requirements. Uh, But it's part of the process. And it's, I think for the engineers in the room, um, myself included, that's probably uh, the the hardest part of, of, of doing this is getting, you know, to the balance part and making sure that, you know, all the stakeholders and SMEs, understand, you know, that, that uh, the business goals are important because, you know, as technical people, sometimes we look at, you know, the, the business goals and the requirements of things. And we just think, well, that's, you know, like the, the, what the, the best practices are the technical thing, the cool, shiny, flashy thing. That's the thing we want. Um, but oftentimes we have to let go of the, the cool technicky techie stuff, because if it doesn't ultimately you know, meet a requirement of what the business is trying to do, then you're overcomplicating things for no reason. And so that's, it's, you know, it, 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 this is why, you know, this is why project managers are, you know, especially good project managers are really important to an organization because they can help, you know, define the outcomes and define the requirements and and, and help, uh, you know, businesses achieve this, this balance between, know um, the, the technical good stuff that, that is in pro, in a lot of products like you know like NSXT and the things that uh, businesses need to function and to to gain value out of those investments that they've made. And a good design also has you know a documented rationale for its considerations um, Ken, I don't know about you, but documentation in, in general has always been sort of my Achilles heel. Oh, 100% it's not the fun thing to do right It's like
0: right, yeah. oh I know it's important but uh, I'd rather right. just <laughs> learn this cool new thing or yeah. see what happens if I change this config file you know. right
1: but that's that, that's the thing that gets you to the these last couple of pieces here is being simple and repeatable because if you don't have if you, if you don't have a document that shows the rationale and understanding the considerations of why you did what you did, then you'll never get to the point of being simple and repeatable. Um, and, and that's the piece of it that, um, you know, it's, it's really hard for, you know, certain brained engineers like myself to get over, um, you know, and, and it, 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 it should also include sufficient enough detail to be unambiguous and should not be complex. Um, you know, it should consider the target states of things Um, and it should be, you know, kind of a constantly evolving document. I will never forget the first time I ran across an an organization, worked for an organization, not VMware, uh, worked for another independent company where they had a consulting division that was doing this kind of stuff. You know, they were building, you know, entire, uh, design frameworks and processes that, that, that met all of these things. And that, that, that was basically their business and, one of the, the, the senior security folks involved in this um, was effectively his, he had a requirement that any uh, project that they were working on in order for them to you know execute the project it had to have this document that contained all of these things so you know everything on this page and then some but it also had to have, the uh, extremely specific step-by-step instructions of how to actually go in and go in to execute it. Because it, it, from their perspective, the, when the rubber meet, met the road, they wanted to know that if the engineer who was tasked with deploying it um, got in a car accident or use the proverbial term was hit by a bus, that, that somebody else could pick up that document and execute on all of this stuff to the same degree that, that the, the, you know, the super smart engineer could now that always spawned off lots of arguments about, well, I'm an engineer, I'm super smart. Why do I need to follow this step-by-step document? You know, it it, it kind of made for some heated discussions within the, within the organization, because, you know, if if you're going to go through and build a step-by-step blueprint design plan, then why do you need the engineer to do the deployment? You could just have anybody do it, but the the whole idea of why this was important to them was because it gives them this one set of outcomes that's simple and repeatable. And that's really it. Because if you don't have that, you kind of don't have anything because you've you've sort of spent all this work trying to get to this point. And, And this is the thing that every organization when they're building stuff out should be after. They should be after having a balance you know, design that meets all the requirements and it needs to be simple and repeatable. Cause if, if you don't, if you, if, if, otherwise you're, you're doing a lot of this adoption of new technology kind of for naught. because then this is why, why a lot of organizations have so much shelfware uh, where they buy stuff and then never use it. Um, and, and it's, it's because we just don't have good processes in place to consume these things. And that's, you know, that, that, I'll step off my soapbox now, but that, that's sort of what I the way I envisioned that. In, 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 have you seen something like that in Ken in the past?
0: You mean like that really complex requirement for documentation? Yeah. Um, I wish that I had seen it more. Let's put it that way. Because uh, this goes both ways, right? If you're trying to help an organization looking for outside help to modernize whatever that they're doing, and you want to know what's the state of the current environment? And they're like, we don't know. Somebody else installed it years ago. Right. Uh, we don't. We don't have anything. You know that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it
1: helps us out too. Yeah. All right. Diving a little deeper into the framework. Um, so that was the process. This is the. This is just specifically going into the framework part of it. So when we're when we're looking through this process. Um, you know, we're going to use a framework that that does all of these five steps. You know, it it, it identifies the stakeholders. You know, extracts the relevant you know, uh, business drivers and customer information. Um, you know, again, the, the this framework should drive business objectives throughout all layers of the engagement. So that's from you know, uh, en- engineers all the way down to this, all, all the way up up to the C suite or down to the C suite wherever their offices are. Um, and, and make sure that the right people are aware of what is happening and why it's important. Um, the, the The framework also, you know, needs to have clear communication, a clear communication structure for all of those involved, and it's got to. So that's that's part of this top to bottom transparency and traceability for the decision process. And realistically, you know, it it's, it shouldn't be limited you know, by specific technologies that shouldn't necessarily be, you know, hamstrung by um, whatever the project is. So again, this should be something that's simple and repeatable and, and allows things to to evolve as time goes on. And, you know, the, the, the thing about like the, the number one part, you know, is you, you have to have sponsors for every area that's involved. And this, is, this has been true for NSX um, since its inception, really. Um, you know, NSX is a unique product that tends to have, um, a foothold in many, many different disciplines. Um, I think the, I think realistically, the only, um, IT discipline that might not have to have a a huge say, but they do need to be involved is the storage team, um, because there's not a huge amount of storage requirements as it relates to NSX, but it is there, but in general, you know and when you're do, doing NSX design and deployment you know you've got to have uh, input from uh, compute teams from the vsphere side for the hypervisor side you've got to have input from you know network teams you gotta have input from security teams you've got to have input from the security policy people so there's a lot of times there's network security and then there's the security security teams so there's multiple different silos of things that, that come across here so it's it, it, it really is something that tends to touch every single IT discipline. And, and that's where, you know, as you're building out this framework to, to do a, a proper design, we got to have the right people on board from the very outset. Uh, because otherwise you could get six months into a project, working even just the project of designing a thing and be missing some, some key components, like if, especially if you're connecting this out to, say, public clouds. If you've got a whole other separate team that all they deal with is public clouds, you know, and you never involve them at the outset, well, now you've got a whole other bag of considerations to deal with. So it, identifying stake, stakeholders is probably like, you know, if, if this was um, the framework of a house, this is probably one of, one of the main pieces of the foundation of that house. And then re- realistically, we, we, need, we need to have, you know, um, reasons that businesses are doing a lot of this stuff. So this, you know, the en- engineers typically don't have to come up with a lot of these kinds of explanations on things. But, um, you know, a lot of times that's further up the ch- up the chain within organizations. But you've got to have, you know, the, these business drivers identified to say, you know, what are the things that you're after, especially as it comes to uh, an NSX you know, and, and turning on. So certain features over another, um, you know, like, you know, do you need uh, virtualized networking components, you know, so you have to do the overlay networking pieces or can you just get by with doing security only with VLAN back networks? Um, and what are the things that, that require that, you know, are there PCI networks or, uh, you know, HIPAA information for private healthcare information? What, what needs to be you know uh, understood and you know, what's the real, real thing that's making you you know, do a design or do an adoption of some technology. So, and again, you know, the the, the framework has to be, you know, flexible enough to deliver products that aren't even, you know, haven't been considered as part of the design. So, so again, you know, if your design initially does not call for overlay networks within NSX, but later on you find out, well, we need to do some workload migration with HCX, and the the network extend we need to do network extension. Well, then then you're gonna to need to modify the design requirements within your organization because now you have a business need to do workload migration, you know, with a with a, with another piece of the NSX design framework or NSX design it's NSX products suite using HCX and overlay networks, at least the you know, there's a minimal configuration of that that need that is required for that. So again. The, the business drivers, it's, it's a this cyclical thing of, you know, one thing feeds to the next and you're going to have to work through all of this, this process as you go through uh, designing these, these, these pieces out. Okay. Part of the design framework um, is is what we kind of started to rank through these um, couple of key areas here. So the the, the use of a standard framework communicates this organized and professional approach as you're working through this. And and then we use these things called design qualifiers to ensure that all levels of the engagement are met. Um, Each each qualifier affects the other qualifiers and and the the qualifiers include, um, you know, yes, the availability, the manageability, the performance, the recoverability, the security, and the cost. Um, I'm not going to try to pronounce this as a word because it's not a word.
0: But, I've yeah. heard it but without, gee, I'm not kidding I've, I've seen it ampers before yeah. but people don't usually include C in the acronym ampers or something like that but yeah
1: um, but, but realistically you know this this is a thing of you know where, where we need to think about stuff. so let's just say for the cost aspect of it um, you know so what, what might be in most organizations a very high bar on the cost part of it is you know what is the budget? For this this design or for this project, um, versus you know how much it came in at in the proposal part of it, um, and and you know can can the proposed uh, goals and business requirements you know allow, allow the budget to be met? So the you know these kinds of uh, pieces are going to be considered and in, in ultimately against um, you know the same thing on the security side. So you know does the budget being up here? meet a security requirement that's down here. Um, you know, how important are each of these areas? And we have to kind of go through this qualitative method to get a quantitative result to, to sort of prioritize how we're going to attack um, the design you know, framework build out. And again, this is just this is, yes, the, the pieces of this design framework that build really just build the structure of what you're trying to embark upon in designing an sxt deployment
0: don't all customers just rate all of those as high
1: <laughs> probably but you know but then, then then you've got other problems and probably all right all right i'm i'm, I'm, I'm droning on way too long so i'm going to keep on moving here All right. So frameworks also have a life cycle. So the the life cycle, you know, this is another thing that this is the the Deming model, which is a quite popular online, um, you know, model of how to do things or work through solutions and discover problems. So, you know, the, the way that we sort of put this into is, you know, the plan or discover you, you know, develop and then you execute and review. Um, So we, we sort of work through, this same type of you know, c- cyclical process um, as part of the life cycle of this uh, design process, you know, um, it, it, so that that's it, it's just you know I, the the discover steps, you know, we we define the scope and to educate you know the customer and the ult- ultimately the team that's working on these things, um, you know, we document ex- objectives. We test customer objectives against actual needs, solicit and document requirements, assumptions and constraints, um, and then, you know, continue to work through the process and, you know, execute and build, deploy and implement and operationalize, test and verify. Um, I mean, it's just, you know, one thing feeds to the next. And that's just, this is kind of how you, you know, ultimately test the framework to make sure that it's meeting what you're needing to do. So as we're working through this, so here's sort of the things that as you're looking at, you know, this particular exam, this is the stuff that you're going to see a lot of. Um, And and these are the things that you need to kind of work through your head in terms of um, processing how to think through these things. And what, what you end up with when you come out of taking this exam is now anything, any meeting you're in from here on out, you hear somebody say something and you think to yourself, um, that's a constraint, or you'll be sitting in a meeting and somebody'll be talking. and You just be like, "Oh yeah, that's a risk," um, and you just you just you just can't help but um, you know start to like categorize people's statements as they say things after you go through this process. So enjoy that. Um, so a constraint is you know these list of things. So yeah, political factors, and that's you know business political factors, not necessarily governmental political factors. But if you're working in the Fed space, you might have governmental political factors. Um, you know, yeah, regulatory issues, you know, big one is training and skills that are required. I mean, that that is probably the n- number one or two thing in the design process that needs to be considered for teams that are deploying new technology, especially NSXT, is training. Um, you know, and and we can't really harp harp on that enough. That's a big reason why V Brownbag exists. It's a big reason why I have done this series now for a second year in a row. Um is because the training and skills gap within it is a is always something that is there and, and may never fully be bridged but you know it is what it is um and you know probably the last big constraint thing is security requirements there that that's sort of a never ending piece as well as you know we always got to consider security um so requirements again this is an example of this is so yeah the organization has to do deal with sox compliance or, you know, the underlying infrastructure has to have, you know, five nines or four nines or a certain number of nines. Um, you know, those are static requirements that have to be met, understood throughout the whole process. Um, assumptions are, you know, design components that are assumed to be valid without proof. So that statement in and of itself is an assumption. Um, it 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 is this piece of... You know, you, you can sometimes read through or hear something and you're kind of starting to debate with yourself, is that, or is that an actually a risk or is that an assumption? Um, so you can kind of, you know, uh, look at a scenario and sort of freak yourself out a little bit. Um, but this is why I say in, in certain scenarios, in, in real life anyways, there may not necessarily be a wrong answer. Something could potentially be uh, uh, an assumption you know, and a risk at the same time um and, and still have you know components of it that are constrained, and so you have to kind of really break down these things as you're working through them and then this is where it gets really you know challenging in the exam for this particular test is you have to you know read through these processes a few times to make sure that you're identifying them the way that the test wants you to um, but in general you know these are these are this is where you're going to spend a lot of your time your study time is, is understanding how to break down Scenarios into these categories, and we'll do this in a moment. And, and the kind of the last piece of this is the so of so risks. You know, to, as an, as a definition here, risks might prevent you from achieving project goals. Um, you know, to, to uh, identify and list design risks is is key. Uh, you know, for an example, you know, if, you, if you've got uh, uh, the the main data center contains only a single core router, which is a single point of failure. You know, that's a risk, um, or you know, you could also call out that, you know, the team doesn't have the training requirements met for the, for the new nsx, NSX T deployment. They've only got NSX for vSphere training. That's a, that's a risk. Um, you know, so lots of these, these types of things are, are part of how we talk through this. Um, all right, moving on to design phases. So in the conceptual base, phase here, we, we gather the, the information to create the conceptual design from key stakeholders and subject matter experts. And then we know that from that comes out the, the scope, the goals, and the requirements, assumptions, and constraints. Um, and then part of that process, of the, the most one of the more critical parts of that process is this thing called the current state analysis. Um, so basically, it's looking at how things are right now, so that you can understand where you're going from in the future, it's just that's that baseline for the for the deployment of something. Um, so, and if, if you're doing you know this this is where if you're doing things in a greenfield environment where you're just starting fresh, it's always the best place to start from. But it's not always the case in most most scenarios. So you've got a lot of things to consider as you're as you're rolling from from that. The conceptual design focuses on achieving the organization's business goals and requirements. Um, you know, and you have to determine entities that are affected by this project. Uh, you know, lines of business, users, processes, all that good stuff. Um, you have to determine the goals, requirements, and constraints, how they map to each entity, um, you know, d- design infrastructure that will be necessary to achieve the entity's goals and requirements, while at the same time staying within the constraints. Um, and then we've got to document, you know, the conceptual design with diagrams, tables, text, all the good things that go into to documentation um, that, you know, most engineers don't enjoy doing. Um, the conceptual design also categorizes assessment findings, you know, again, into, you know, uh, requirements and constraints. And, something. and again, this keeps coming up over and over and over again because, you know, ultimately uh, the, these requirements need to be provided so that the solution can achieve them. So it's this, again, this circular thing of one feeds the next. Um, and, you know, like the, the constraints are conditions. That provide boundaries to the design the assumptions list the conditions that are believed to be true but not confirmed and then um, you know by the time you get to the deployment stage though all the assumptions need to be fully validated and and, and, you know no longer assumptions so that's the list you're going to destroy as you get through it so you know eventually the assumptions need to be um, checklisted off The, the risk factors of course are anything that might have a negative effect on the design. So, logical design uh, includes relationships between you know major infrastructure components, with you know uh, considerations on the conceptual design, the technical requirements, constraints, and risks. So, here's where we start to see this, where the logical, you know, uh, design phase calls back to the conceptual phase, because you know, without without one, you don't have the other, um, and that's that's a common kind of theme that you'll you'll look at as you start to study through this stuff. Logical design is useful for understanding and evaluating the design of the infrastructure when it comes down to the physical side of things. The um, you know, logical design does not include physical details such as the vendor, model, host name, IP addresses, or port connections. It doesn't go down to that level, uh, but it does feed into what ultimately helps build the physical design phase. Um, so, the logical designing also includes decisions on how to arrange, you know, major infrastructure components to satisfy dependencies and requirements that are specified in the conceptual design. So for example, uh, design decisions on, you know, management clusters or uh, workload domain clusters, storage appliances, networking, um, you know, where where the workloads are, how how the workloads are split out between the clusters, um, you know, all of those sorts of things um, can feed towards the logical design. And again, the design phase is a, an iterative process that continually changes. So, here, you know, so the, the physical design piece of it. So, we again, we use, you know, the logical design to get, you know, like part of the get to get at the conceptual design. But at the same time, we use the logical design to create the physical design. So, a physical design includes, you know, specific vendor and implementation details. So, this is where you're you know, vendor models, host names, IP addresses, all that sort of stuff comes into play in the physical design, because this is where you need to get really specific about how you're laying out hardware, how you're laying out uh, networks, um, you know, routes, static routes, PGP, whatever you're doing. Um, And the physical design uh, provides, you know, the detailed specifications for purchasing hardware and ultimately deploying the solution. Uh, let's see this is kind of a repeat thing but let me just skip through this a little bit here so again justifications this is you know pretty similar to the um ampersk thought process where you know designs are a series of compromises when a design decision is, is not directly related to a requirement you know you use the non-functional requirements to evaluate and justify the design um, and it's just, these are some questions that, you know, you can pause this later and kind of go through if you're looking at kind of more information on, um, you know, where to go through. And again, the, the, probably the, one of the more important things is, is it in the budget? Um, because if you don't have it in the budget, ultimately it's not going to get done anyways. So we again, you know, yeah, we use the the logical design to create the physical design. You know, the physical design contains that specific vendor implementation details. Um, The physical design provides uh, um, the the, the information to get to the implementation guide, which is you know intended to define the steps and variables required to deploy the solution. So in this case, it's it's focused on the physical design. The the physical design moves into implementation details again based on the logical design more than one physical design can be built based on a quality logical design so um you know th- this is again uh, the idea of this should be a um simple and repeatable iter- iter- yet iter- iterative process um, as you work through these things and step through them um, they all start to work together as you get further into this uh, design methodology so at the end of it is you're going to come out with, you know, a set of design documents and, you know, the, the number and type of the documents are going to vary by project. Um, you know, the, 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 there's lots of different factors that are going to dictate those how, you know, the number and type of those documents, um, you know, solution oriented designs will typically require, you know, a lot more custom documentation um, product oriented designs tend to, um, include a larger uh, proportion of references to instructions and online documentation and um, you know, things of that nature. Um, the, all, ultimately, the, the design document, you know, is a blueprint for the actual design and includes conceptual, you know, logical, you know, and, and physical design information, uh, you know, images, um, you know, especially if you've done this in a one-on-one a whiteboard, you want to capture those things and you know, make them permanent, you know, pictures that are pretty. Um, you know, lots of visio things comes that come to mind, um, and ultimately, you know, it helps to discuss, you know, all these design aspects as, as stated by the organization's goals. So, as we kind of looked at before, this, this plan, do, check, act thought process, this is, again, sort of the, the design deploy process of how we work through these requirements. So yeah, so we're going to assess things, um, which we then goes down to designing, deploy, and validate, and then that worked back up the chain to ultimately you know feed the feed what you know feed the requirements. And in the same vein, you know the this these pieces are also going to also going to come back the other direction to feed the requirements. Everything comes back to you know what are the requirements and what are the business goals and objectives and pieces that make up what the what, what is required from the, what, what what why the design is the way it is um the, the requirements are king really and then really the, the one of the last pieces is this is the deployment validation and you know the installation and configuration documentation that the the validation plan and you know provides with test results um, you know your requirements vary on this thing but based on uh, cost and length of the project. The, the validation is something that you know we probably don't want to skip uh, that that piece of it because that's where we uh, understand that you know that if we got everything we needed in the in the uh, uh, planning process is getting through this. You know, that's where you find your gaps as well. Okay, last two things before we jump into. Kind of some uh, d- discussion here. So uh, solid design is based on guiding principles which define best practices, recommendations, and standards. A sound design includes you know, a design methodology. Um, again, training is super important and as well as involving the right stakeholders and having consistent discussions with them. Um, again, if, if you're after this VCAP, in the design exam, you know, you can really not spend enough time on understanding the requirements, constraints, assumptions, and risks category. Um, you got to just get through how to break down scenarios and break down information into those categories and buckets uh, because that is just crucial for, for understanding the exam, um, as is even noted in the blueprint. And then, you know, decisions have to be made to balance these technical best practices, business goals, and constraints. Again, it's a back and forth uh, compromising process to go through to get to a good design. And a good design, again, is repeatable, documented with decision rationale and detailed for clarity. That's probably not stated enough either. Um, you know, being, uh, I've, I've heard it said to be unclear is to be unkind. Um and especially if you're giving this thing to somebody else to deploy, um, if it's not clear what you're, trying, what you're asking them to do, then, then it's just not nice. <laughs> so be, be nice to your engineers deploying this thing and be clear about what you want. Um, and, and, you know, the, the, and having, having a good physical design as part of this too, you know, ultimately feeds um, what will support the rest of this uh, from the outset. Uh, all right. Ken, are you ready?
0: I was born ready. All
1: right. Okay. So this is how I'm going to wrap this up today is look at um, some uncategorized constraints, risks, and assumptions. Can you read these okay? Do I need to zoom in more? I can read them okay.
0: Yeah. I'm going to treat this like a lightning round. I'm just going to try to
1: rapid fire answer them. So probably all get right. a lot wrong. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Okay. So compute nodes... Are hpdl 388 380 G11s Rackmount servers. Physical specifications of the servers included in the bomb to be used are and not to be changed. What is that? Is that? Uh, so that's that's absolutely a constraint. Could be a risk depending
0: on the the bomb. It might not be suitable. But I'm gonna I'm gonna say constraint.
1: All right.
2: I'm going to. All right, this is going to take forever if I actually do this.
1: Okay, dynamic routing is not allowed per the NSX to peer vir- NSX virtual networks with a physical network. What is that?
0: Borderline risk, in my opinion. <laughs> I think it would not be a very good architecture. Probably make it work, but I'm going to call it risk.
1: Just going to note it right next to it here. All right. Okay. All, all hosts are installed, powered on, and updated to the latest firmware in both sites before deploying and allowing parallel implementation in both sites. Uh, that's an assumption. Okay. The deployment can run at the same time for both sites. I'm also going to say assumption. A high physical network over subscription ratio between leaf switches and spine switches. It's 10 to 1. Say risk. <laughs> um one of the, some of these I thought could also be a constraint, but that with that. Yeah, I mean that's that could be a, that that could be a risk, but at the same time, if they have like low budget, on it's the okay to side. Wh- whip out
0: your buzzer, you
1: know. And
0: they, <laughs> no,
1: no, no, no I, I don't. am like, just I'm just saying like this is this is where you kind of start when you start to roll through these scenarios, you can start to see there's a little bit of gray area in some of them that's sometimes, right? yeah, you know. Um, so prerequisites workbook will be ready before deployment. That's a big time assumption. Yeah, you that's, work that's as a customer. That's an easy one. Current network infrastructure and bandwidth will be sufficient for all types of traffic. Also an assumption. But technically it <laughs> could also be a risk. <laughs>
0: <laughs> or just a requirement.
1: Yeah, over that, yeah. Is requirement
0: um, one of the uh, things you can fill in here? It,
1: no, it should be, but it's not on this. I think it's on another tab. Okay. Well, this is, no, this is the requirements. So so we're gathering the requirements as part of this. So each one, each of these things feeds the requirements. Uh top of rec switches are Cisco, blah, blah, blah. Four top of rec switches are available at site Y and two at site Z.
0: That's I would call that a constraint. It's probably something you can work well within, but need to know okay. those details, right?
1: The third witness site has a single ESX line. Oh, host, which, one. oh did I?
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, oop, yep. The, oh, yeah, the Z site has a single rack to host an entire compute node.
0: That's a constraint, in my opinion.
1: And like I said, for today, there is no wrong answer. <laughs> third witness site has a single ESXi host, which is a single point of failure. I would call that a risk. I 100% agree. The entire infrastructure is hosted on a single logical site. Hmm. I don't know. Do you think that's a constraint or a risk Britton? I think, I I think, I think it's more of a constraint. Okay. I mean, you could technically say it's a risk too, but you know, that's one of those things where the, you know, it depends. (laughs) Right. Because, because this is only, yeah, yeah. I don't know. There's more information is required on most of these things, but this is the kind of stuff you run across. Number of available racks in each site, one rack in TXX, two in RVA. Constraints. Got a design for what you got. We'll do a couple more and then we can be done. Okay. Uh, Third site will be ready to host witness appliances. At a minimum, any SXI host is required. Um, Other CPU memory storage network requirements... Will be shared in a prerequisite workbook oh so there's other book of information that's hiding somewhere you have to find oh boy assumption
0: uh you know we're stating this is going to be available but we don't know for sure
1: yeah all right the last last one current average network round trip time latency between both sites is around one to two milliseconds and the maximum is under five seconds five milliseconds um hmm. oh i guess assumption yeah that's, that's, yeah, that's some pretty specific this information there. So
0: like we expect this to be the reality.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that right there is a lot of the type of stuff that you need to run through for this exam. Um, hmm. It's just looking at these types of scenarios. And and this is if you work in IT, you, you don't have to go far to find these types of scenarios and be able to, to break them down. Um, you probably run into this every day, sometimes multiple times a day, where somebody brings up something. And, um, and like I said, a- a- as you kind of get into this, you- you'll start to see these questions and things pop up in your everyday work day, and you'll just start calling, you'll just start categorizing them as they pop up. So, and, so and, Brandon, and, did I? Yes, sir.
0: I know there's no right answer, but do you think I'm ready for a VCAP?
1: <laughs> I think you're ready to start studying.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay, fair enough. Uh, how's that for a political answer?
0: I know, right? <laughs> it just implies that no, I'm
1: not. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I took, I, I so I, I, took the full exam, or I took the full class, and really with no study time, just went and took the exam and tried it and failed on my first attempt. So. Nice. Um, sometimes you have to fall on your face, try, try again and realize you actually do need to study. So go figure. Right. So that's it for today. Um, I hope that was useful and informative. Um, I mean, if it, if it felt repetitive in there at all, which I think I felt like it was a little bit repetitive. um, That's probably by design because most of this stuff, like I said, throughout the whole thing, it's, there's this cyclic cyclical, um, repeat driven methodology that works its way throughout this whole process. And that comes up in the exam a lot as well. So, uh, but, but the biggest takeaway that I can give anybody through this is just, yes, make sure that you are understanding the uh, you know, requirements, constraints, assumptions, and risks, and how to categorize things for those four areas. Uh, because that is absolutely key in this process
0: so awesome stuff Britton. thanks so much this was great thank you for doing this series uh yep. folks be sure to tune in two weeks from today august 25th 2021 uh if it's not past that date already uh and join us for the thrilling conclusion of this nsxt uh update series uh from Britton johnson thanks again Britton. yeah thank you ken all right so long